You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this week's lesson, Dwelling with God, Philip Edwards will explore the reality of living with God and how we can continually enjoy his presence. We hope you enjoy today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can study past modules, register for future modules and see the other ministries we have to offer. You can also follow us on social media where you can watch our live streams at Arise Ministry UK. And now over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. Welcome back after our one week uh, bank holiday break and uh, so we can resume the teaching uh, that we started that two weeks ago now, practicing the presence of God. This week we're going to look at what it is to dwell with God. The whole thing really, the whole course is about dwelling with God, but I, I brought that as a title for this, this week's uh, teachings on this. Let's have a brief recap then, because uh, you might have missed the first one or just to catch up with it really. Before I go there, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the privilege of gathering around your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, who is the teacher of the church. And Father, we want to be open to you speaking into our hearts. Lord, you might want to show us something new or to change some thinking that we have that's not quite right. You want to make some adjustments. Father, we want to make ourselves available for that. Father, I just covet your anointing upon me as I teach the word of God that I might do it clearly and it might bless the hearers. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, God. Amen. Recap then. I'm going to give you 15 disciplines, as it were, uh, to change the way you are, to change you from your old nature to your new nature, which you now have. Uh, You practiced your old nature for a long time and it became part of you, it became who you were. In coming to Christ, we receive a new nature, but the old one doesn't just get washed away, it just doesn't disappear. We have to discipline ourselves, so we we learn to live in this new way. Uh, So I said there'll be about 15 disciplines we'll share over these four weeks, and If you only listen and go away and say, well, that was very interesting, Philip, thank you very much. I know all these things now, but don't practice them. It doesn't help you at all, really. So we have to practice what we hear. And and some of it might seem a bit childish in some ways, uh, but then a lot of stuff that we have to do like this, it might strike us like that, but once we practice it, it becomes a discipline of our lives and it becomes part of our habitual living. So practice makes perfect and it does it does it will in our lives Uh, we looked at three disciplines last time i just remind you what they were the first one i called good morning lord and i just encourage you to the first thing you do when you wake in the morning is just to say good morning lord just to think i'm going to start this day in relationship with god If you get up and you don't and you forget, you can find yourself halfway through the morning before you've given God even another thought. You're just busy. There's so many things to do. Uh, You you get on with stuff. Just take those few minutes, just moments, to just get yourself ready, as it were. And then always, last thing at night, 
just to practice that as well. Just set your mind on a scripture or something uh, about the Lord. Or for me, I'm always preparing some sort of teaching. So it's usually I've got this teaching that's running through my head or I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, or oh, what about this point or that point? Or yeah, those sorts of things. Whichever way you can do it, you can just focus on that. Some people go to bed and they just have uh, scriptures just playing uh, in the background and it shuts itself off, or perhaps it doesn't shut itself off, it just keeps going and you just go to sleep. All that stuff is helpful. I think it leads probably to a good night's rest, and it might even lead to dreams and visions from the Lord and open you up for all sorts of things. So, the good morning, Lord, was the first discipline I gave you. The second one was cultivating a closeness. Christians call this a quiet time. Um, it doesn't have to be quiet in that sense, and I can't tell you how to do it, but what I'm suggesting is just you take some part of the day and say, this is just me and God. It might be first thing in the morning, that, that suits some people. People talk about being owls or larks, and uh, larks jump out of bed and they're full of life. Owls get a bit more active as the, the day goes on. So it could be your quiet time is last thing at night. It could be as first thing in the morning or in your busy day. You just take time out in the day to have a quiet time, just you and God. You might read, pray, you might just meditate, a combination of all of these. Whatever works out for you the best, cultivate this closeness, this quiet time. The third suggestion I had in that first lesson was that we partner with God. See ourselves in partnership with him. Everywhere you go, every business thing you do, every home thing you do, just take him with you. Don't think, oh, I'm off to do this. You're off to do this with God. He has appointed us, it says, to bear fruit in our lives. Fruit that will remain. I believe that fruit he's talking about, fruit that would remain, would have to be fruit where the Holy Spirit has worked in us and through us. It has then an eternal quality to it. So much that we do is gone in time. It just evaporates in time. But fruit that will remain is the fruit that the Holy Spirit enables us to bear in our lives. So, four more spiritual disciplines uh, today. We'll do two and then we'll do a couple more after the break. And also what I want to do is introduce you to Brother Lawrence. Some of you might have read about him in the past, but um, uh, yeah, uh, just so, so famous for uh, a man who learned to just meditate and live in close relationship with him. So we'll, we'll read some of that together and I'll give you an introduction to him. So these are the four spiritual exercises I have for you this evening. Choosing to praise. You choose to praise. Number two is this searching on the inside of you to make sure everything's all right. Not too much uh, inner reflection, but just looking at a few pointers, because sometimes as we, we mature in this Christian life, we can slip just by a small amount, and we're, we're off course quite quickly. And so it's good to give yourself a little check up from time to time and to deal with any of these matters. I want to talk about praying the affirmative prayer. We'll explain more in detail when we get there. And then I want to look at what it is to have a, 
a constant closeness with God. Constant. This is really about what practicing the presence of God with Brother Lawrence is all about. This constantly in his presence. And that will all, all of these things take some practice and discipline in our life. So that's where we're going. Always good to tell people where you're going. Uh, tell them when you're nearly there, and then tell them when you've arrived. And, uh, and that's it, the work is done. Choosing to praise then. There are a number of Bible verses that remind us that when we're praising God, he dwells in the midst of our praise. It's in Psalm, there's one classic verse in Psalm 22 and verse 3. You are enthroned, it says, as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. Or in the New King James Version, but you are holy who inhabit the praise of Israel. It's important that we cultivate a heart that praises God constantly, all the time, being a people of praise. The more praise that we can enter into, and that can be, it, perhaps it can only be singing. It can only be singing. Uh, and, and you might think, well, it's not convenient for me to go around singing all day where I work or the thing I do, but take the opportunities where they, you can. In the car, instead of listening to that radio all the time or whatever you're doing, just turn the thing off and start to praise God. If we can all sing, well, we can all sing on our own. I mean, it's good enough if it's on our own. So we can sing, and of course, we've got so many thousands of songs in the church, and they do stick with us. Just start to sing praise, or you might want to just pray in tongues, or you just want to just worship the Lord, or say something. So we turn ourselves to praise as often as we possibly can. That's cultivating this new nature, you see, to be positive. To be full of praise. The old nature's not like that, is it? The old nature's an old moaner. It loves to groan about things. It loves to complain. It loves to be negative. I don't know why, but it just so, seems to come natural to so many people to find fault in things. Of course, there are good things and bad things about everything, but somehow they seem to focus on what's wrong. Uh, and there's so much that's right about things, or even if there's only one thing that's right, just get excited about that. I remember hearing this story about, um, they were talking about a, an elderly lady that died, and uh, they were saying, oh, she was such a precious soul because she always had something positive to say. And the, uh, another lady said, well, she said, oh, I remember about her. She had no teeth in her head. And, and, and I thought, that's not very pleasant. Okay. Yeah, but the guy said, yes. No, he said she did. She had two. And she said one was opposite the other. So she constantly praised God that the teeth that were left in her head were opposite <laughs> each other. You see, there's always something to praise for. She could, she could rejoice in the fact that God had left those two behind anyway and the rest had, had all gone. There are always positive things to say about things. Even, no one's all bad, are they? And so, you know, we have to be careful that we're not too negative about things and we, we try to balance our lives up by being positive. And I don't think that's only about uh, things, 
Christian, but all things generally in life, we need to have a much more positive disposition. Praise and thanksgiving. There's a difference between the two, praise and thanksgiving. We thank God for what he does for us. We praise God for who he is. So I understand if things are really bad and difficult and nothing's working out and you're in a dire place, it's very difficult to give thanks. Uh, you just have to work your way through it. But you see, you might not be able to give thanks until you get to the end of it. There's always something, like I said, to give thanks for. But you can always give praise going through it. That's when God wants you to praise. It's easy to praise on the mountaintop. It's easy to praise when it's all going well. But when it's not so good, that's when God's listening to see what's in our heart, to see if we can still praise him, still find praise in those difficult times. It says in Psalm 34 and in verse 1, I will extol the Lord when? At all times. His praise will always be on my lips. It's clear. The psalmist is clear about that. And of course, as we read through the psalms, he, poor old David and others, they get themselves into real dire places, don't they? And it's so, it's always starts really heavy duty and a little bit depressing, but usually find by the end of the psalm, they're magnifying the Lord. That's the, the point of this wonderful book, which is the longest book in the Bible, right there in the middle, so you can't miss it. The idea that we, we come through these things. We can always praise God for who he is. We know that God never changes. And we know that God is good. And we sing that little or ditty really, he's good all the time. Of course it's a reality, it's true. He is good, therefore he's got to be good all the time. There's no bad, there's no shadow about him, there's no darkness about him. He is a good God. Therefore then he must always be worth our praise if he's good. And then it follows that praising God is always appropriate in our lives. See, it's practice, it's discipline to do it. And when we catch ourselves going off into that dark place, we just have to remind ourselves and bring God back into it because our praise, he seems to enter in to our lives again as we start to magnify and praise his name. So thanksgiving will flow from your feelings, whereas praise will flow from your will. And your will always has to be stronger than your feelings. We can't allow our feelings to dominate our lives. I'm not saying that feelings are bad. They play an important part, but they mustn't dominate in our lives. We choose to praise the Almighty, whether we feel like it or not. We praise him. We're constantly in his presence and we'll declare how good he is. In Psalm 42 and 6, it talks about the psalmist again, as I referred to him, when he gets downcast, it says this in Psalm 42 and 6, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. I like that he's honest. It's no good saying, oh, I haven't got any problems. It doesn't matter. Yeah, things do matter. The problems are real. They're real every day. We face them, whether they're problems in the family or in the workplace or in the church. There's no shortage of problems coming into our lives. And we can become downcast. 
because we feel the responsibility, we want to do something, but people won't listen to us and we just feel, feel down. Therefore, he says, I will remember. And what he says he will remember, he says, I will remember you, God, uh, from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. It says, I will remember when you delivered the nation of Israel from captivity. I will remember that. Now, sometimes what we have to do is remember when God delivered us before, when God helped us, when there was this problem in the family and somehow God took us through and we were never going to see how we went through. You know, most families go through dark, dark patches of things in their lives. And then when we come out the other end, usually it's to the glory of God. And we need to remember those things that when other dark patches come, we got through that. God was faithful. We didn't jump out of it in two minutes, but God took us through. That's the most important thing. And see, that will lift us. It will carry us through the whole thing. So admit there is a problem, but don't stay there. He says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, it's like, this is where I am, but I'm not going to stay in this place. I'm not going to have a pity party. I'm not going to let this thing just get over me and so depress me. And that's the good thing that we, uh, you know, if we have someone who's a close friend, obviously husbands and wives and so forth, that we can support and help one another and speak up you know, when the other's going down, the other one lifts them up and that's vitally important to us. We make a choice. He says, I will remember you. I will. It's a will, you see. I will do this. I just won't let the thing overshadow me. He chooses to focus his thoughts on the goodness of God, the character of God, the deliverance of God, how you brought the children of Israel out of that terrible situation and you brought them into liberty and freedom. I like it when I read the scripture and I see a thing repeated and repeated and repeated. I think in the, the author, and they do it so much in the Bible, it's as though, just so you don't miss this, I'm going to tell you again and again and again about it. Um, so normally when I'm writing something, uh, it's like good English not to use the same word so many times, isn't it? So you get your thesaurus out and you look up similar words that you could use and put in the place of it and all that. But the Bible doesn't seem to fuss too much about that. There's a passage in one of John's letters, I think it's in the first letter in chapter 4, in 15 verses, he says love 27 times. It's like, just in case you miss this, I mean, it's a bit over the top, isn't it, really, that he didn't think of writing it. But that's the point he wants to make. This Christian life, when all is said and done, is about our, our loving relationship with one another. That's the great theme of the beloved. And in these couple of Psalms that we've been looking at here, Psalm 42, 43, this is what he repeats three times. First in, in Psalm 42, you'll remember the opening lines of this one, I'm sure. As the deer pants for streams of water, 
so my soul pants for you. It's the psalmist, I don't think this is David in this case, the psalmist is cut off from God, from being with the people of God to worship and praise God. And so he, he's, he says, I'm thirsty for you, God. I want to be with you. And then as we read through it, it gets to verse five and it says this, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. And then it's almost like the psalmist is saying, just in case you didn't do it, I'm going to write this again in verse 11. So before we get to the end of the psalm, he says exactly the same thing again. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. And then if you go then into Psalm 43, down in verse 5, there it is, word for word. He doesn't try and do anything clever with it. He just repeats it and repeats it and repeats it. And I've learned to, whenever I read stuff like that, I keep saying, well, this is vital. This is important. We need to see this. We need to understand it and see what he's saying. When you're feeling downcast then, you put your hope in God. You focus on him, the one who is good all of the time. There's no shifting with God. He's there. He's solid for us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's always there. Another thing about living a life of praise and being positive there's been some scientific research on it, and apparently it's good for our health. Okay, now, if you've got the notes, I've wandered a little bit, so don't worry, uh, okay, but if you're used to me, you'll know this happens, because sometimes I prepare the notes, and then it's a long time before I preach on the notes, uh, and so I don't know when these were originally prepared, some time ago, and then I get some more ex exciting thoughts, so I just put them in, and then I, I find students desperately searching, I, I can't see this bit, I can't see this bit, so I always use having a little pen or pencil, uh, and we get there. I can't tell you every time it happens, because it could be in the middle, at the, the end, of the beginning, anyway. But this is, this is another little added bit. They say, that the scientific research, there's some connection, and this wasn't to do with Christian research, there was some, Christian by, uh, some connection between being happy as a person, generally happy and positive, and your, your physical health. So it's like better to be a happy sort of positive person than a, a, anyway, I'll give you a little list of these and you think you know well. Being happy, and they always put, when I saw these statements, it may do this, all right, it may do it. So they're not being they're scientific, so they can't give you figures and dials and, and, and things like that. Being happy may help to keep your immune system strong. It may. Well, it's more prone to than not. Stress increases levels of the hormone cortisol, apparently, which can cause weight gain, disturb sleep, and high blood pressure. Being happy can lower blood pressure, which may decrease the risk of heart disease, apparently. Happy people live longer. Being happy may reduce the perception of pain. They obviously carried out some sort of tests 
on people. And being happy may reduce the risk of stroke. Well, when God exalts us to praise and be positive and be happy, it's obviously he's made us psychologically, physically, as one to do this. God designed us to be praising people. And in praising him and in praising generally, health is the result. And I, I would go along with that. We are complete and fulfilled when we're doing the things we were designed to do. That's true. And we were designed to be praising people, positive people in our lives. So that's the first discipline I wanted to look at before the break. There's going to be another one before we break. Uh, that was embrace the habit of turning your minds regularly to the Lord and give him the praise he is due. Give him the praise that he is due. The second thing I want to look at this evening is that of, um, I've called it inner searching. It is checking that you're still online. Your course hasn't shifted a little bit because sometimes we just have to adjust the way that we walk in life and we're off target by a long way in a short period of time. So from time to time, we need to check ourselves. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, of course. That's why we regularly read the Word of God and pray and fellowship together. So we give the Holy Spirit access to make sure that we're still online as we're walking forward in God. Continuing to think or act in ways which God does not approve of, will dull our awareness of God's presence. Now, let me say this. God will never leave you. It doesn't matter what you do. Some people say, well, if you sinned in a certain way, God would abandon you or leave you. Or uh, He can't do that. His commitment won't him allow him to do that. So whatever you do, Whatever your attitude is towards him, having committed yourself to him and he's adopted you as his child, he will not abandon you. He cannot do that. But what happens is when we're going a little bit off, it's as though there's something of a barrier between us and him. Not a barrier that he's made, a barrier that we've created. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do is remove these from our lives we should examine our lives or listen to the Holy Spirit as he talks to us. And when he does challenge us to listen to what he's saying and be quick to put it right, don't make excuses for yourself. What's the point of arguing with God anyway? You've lost before you've started. So as the Holy Spirit reminds you of something, just say, okay, I don't fully understand what you're saying and I didn't realise, but I'm open and I want to put it right. I want to put it right. It's important to me. See, God can so easily get us back on track, so easily, if we just submit to him. The first one then, I've got about four or five of these. The first of this is, am I living a truthful and honest life? Is everything about my life truthful? I don't just mean uh, truthful in so much as you don't tell lies. That's important, you don't tell lies. 
I mean walking in truth. John, again, he says this several times in his letter. He says, I saw these Christians who were walking in the truth. It doesn't mean he heard them only telling the truth and not telling lies. He said it was something more. They walked in truth. See, we live in a world that's full of lies and deception and exaggeration and falsehood. It is. All the way through, it's just riddled with lies and falsehood. And, but he is a liar, isn't he? Satan's a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. He said, you know, Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning and a liar. He said his language is lies. He can't tell the truth. He doesn't. So as the God of this world, we live in a world that's so corrupt and full of lies. I was just watching the, uh, the May Day celebrations in Russia, you know, today. And because Mr. Putin's getting up and saying things and uh, how the West are like, you know, we're, we're arming up, you know, with NATO forces on his border to, to crush him. I think, that's a pack of lies. In fact, we were being told off just a year or two ago that we weren't putting enough money into building up NATO forces. And remember, Mr. Trump says, I'm not going to give all this money if you lot aren't going to give the money. And, uh, and so we all thought, oh, OK, well, we'll give a little bit more money and so much of your GDP goes into it and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, it's just a lie. And yet he's talking to a whole nation of people and he's feeding them a lie. He's presenting something that's a lie. They're seeing it and what they're hearing and seeing, they see it's the truth, but it's a deception and a lie. And we've been looking at our own parliament and our own government. I'm not pointing the finger because they're covered with some lies, aren't they? And deception. And, and you think, and when you ever talk to a politician, he never answers the question. He just doesn't do it. And, then, and I think both sides are a bit like that. It's like, just answer the question because they won't do that. They would put themselves or their party or their prime minister in a compromising position, so they just answer some other question. They say something else, and we go, well, we're not asking that question. Can you answer the one we're asking? See, there's so much of it. Deception and lies all the time. It's hard to know sometimes what to believe. And so living in the truth is walking in the truth, walking with integrity. Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life. In other words, the way I live is the way of truth. He came into such a lying, deceiving world that when he walked in the truth, he so showed up. And so will you. As you walk in the truth, the, 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 the backdrop behind you is so dark that the truth will just be so obvious to people your integrity, your honesty. When you say you're going to do it, you do it even though it costs you something. People see that stuff. It's the truth, you see. It's the truth. We walk in the truth. Are you walking in the truth? Are your actions righteous? There's a, a strange thing can happen as we've been Christians a long time. We we have this funny thought sometimes, well, I've proved my faithfulness to God over the years. It doesn't matter if I do this or do that. <laughs> it does. Just because you've been a Christian for 50 years, you've still got to walk in righteousness. You can't say, well, he knows what I'm like. That doesn't do. It doesn't do at all. So we have to question our actions. 
the things that we say, the things that we do. Why do we do this? We've got to ask ourselves the question. Of course, there's this thing of uh, holding resentments against people. And sometimes we feel we have liberty to do it. They've been so rude or difficult or they said all sorts of things that weren't true. And so we feel quite justified in uh, having nothing to do with them or resenting them in some way. That's, see, that's, we've got to check that in our lives all the time. We've got to search the inner self. Another thing we might check over in ourselves as Christians, who've been a Christians for some time, uh, is love my motivation for doing things? <laughs> Why am I here teaching you? Is it because it satisfies something in me? Is it because it makes me feel special or important? Is it because I want to achieve something? Or is it because I love you? I love God and I love you. That's got, I've got to challenge my motivation for doing anything. If I give anything, is it because I want people to see that I'm doing this or I feel I should do it? Or is it love that motivates me to do these things? It says in 1 John 3 and 24, those who obey his commands, they live in him and he in them. And this is how we know he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. His spirit now lives in me. John goes on to say in that same letter, I give you a new command that we have had from the beginning, I like this, that is that we love God. John says, remember the old commandments? He said, I'm going to give you a new one. And you go, oh no, this is the age of grace now, we don't need any more commands. He said, I'm going to give you a new one, but it's the same as the old one. It really hasn't changed. And he calls it a new commandment, but it's the old one. And what is the old commandment? That we love. I mean, he wrote it down in 10 sentences, but it was only the rules by which we should love. That's all it really was. So although John says it's a new commandment, he says, not really, it's the old one. And I'm sure if, if Moses had heard John sharing his letter, he would have said, you're right. I was there when I gave the 10 commandments and it was all about loving one another not coveting, not stealing. It was about walking in the love of God. See, there's only ever, only ever been one commandment that we walk in love with one another. That's just it. So is your motivation that you love? Now, if it's not, it's not drastic. You just got to get to God and say, God, you've got to change something in me. There's something that's not quite right that's working here. And if that's true, that, that needs to be the motivation. Can you help me by your grace to get into that place? And it's the same for all of these things. And the last little one I've got here is, have I sought God's glory or my own? What prompts my actions? Is it my self-interests or Christ's interests? 
who has the final word? Do I have the final word? Or Christ living in me has the final word? You see, that's that old nature again, just raising itself up. But these new disciplines will cause that not to happen. Ask God to show you if something's wrong. And if he shows you, do something about it. See, you can't change. You can't change yourself. You've worked that out. But he can change you by the power of the Spirit. All he wants you to do is to come into agreement with him, to acknowledge that this is wrong. And Lord, you can now change me to be that person that you want me to be. So it's a question of examining ourselves. And why have I said all this? So that we can walk close with God. We can walk with him on a daily basis. That's what we're driving at in this course. Acknowledging his presence and staying in it on a continual basis. Okay, we'll end that session here then. Thank you. Welcome back. Okay. In, in, this, in this section, I want to uh, explore two further disciplines. One is praying the affirmative prayer, and the second is practicing a constant closeness to the Lord. You could say we're getting to the heart of when we get to the second one, we're getting to the heart more of, of what this is all about. Let's deal then with praying an affirmative prayer. To keep asking God for things that he's already given us, things he expects us to appropriate into our life by faith. In other words, he says, I give you this, but you have to appropriate it. You have to claim it. Well, claim it. I don't like using that word. It gets funny connotations there. But you have to lay hold of it by faith and make it yours in a reality. If, if we keep asking God for things he's given to us in that way, we only really confirm our disconnection with God and his word. So I want us to be careful in future because we listen to other people asking for things and yet the scripture says, I've given them to you. I want you to walk in them. I want you to enjoy them and to appropriate them into your lives. So that, I'm going to suggest to you there are things that we don't have to ask for. We know we have them. We have to walk in them. They're part and parcel of a Christian covenant that we've entered into. God said, if you come to me and love me, this is yours and this is yours and this is yours. And then we go to God and say, God, can I have this? And he says, I thought we dealt with this. It's yours. But you think, give it to me then. And he says, no, you've got to, you've got to appropriate it by faith into your life. The the promise of God to constantly and continually be with you is a promise of God. To pray and say, God, will you be with me? You see what I'm saying? It's nonsense, isn't it? If he said, I will always be with you, I will never leave you or forsake you, he's there. That's just the end of it. And so why ask him? It shows there's a disconnect. You thought, well, did God leave me? Did I leave God? 
and why I'm making a point of this one is God said, I'm always there. My presence is always there. <laughs> Whenever you meet someone and you're in their presence, what do you do? It's, it's a really easy answer. You, you speak to them. Yeah, of course you do. If I came up to you now or after the session tonight and I stood in front of you, you might only say, well, what do you want? You know, we would commune. We wouldn't, I just wouldn't, we wouldn't stare at each other or sort of stand and not know what to do. So knowing that God is always present, because he said, I'll never leave you. I'll always be present. He's expecting us to commune with him, to pray with him, to fellowship with him, to relate to him, to listen to him. He's expecting it all of the time. It says in Hebrews 13 and 5, never, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's clear to me. And in Psalm 27, 10, it says, I love this one, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Are you thinking, well, you know, my kids might get into trouble. I'm always there. I'm always there. Even if we fell out, I'm still always there. Uh, but he said, even if my mother and father reject you don't reject me, God. You're constantly there. See, once we've surrendered our lives to God, we're his committed children. That's it. He's committed himself to us as a parent who will never leave us, never forsake us. We have a guarantee that his presence will be in us and around us for the rest of our lives because we've entered into this covenant arrangement. We've accepted Christ as our personal saviour. Jesus said, didn't he, in the upper room, he said, I and the Father will come and we'll dwell with you. And we know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he enters into our lives. Now, I'm not saying that we don't pray about certain things. What I'm saying is, don't pray asking for things that he's given you. Now, you might have to revamp some of your prayers and rethink it through. And before you ask, so, well, has he given me this? Do I just need to walk in it? Because he expects us to know what we have and to walk in it. So instead of praying and asking, pray affirming that you have it. This is what I mean by praying affirming prayers. Regarding his presence always being with you, thank you, Father, you are with me right now. And you promise never to leave me. It doesn't matter what you're doing, standing at the sink, writing someone, meeting someone. He says, I'm there all the time. I'm all the time with you. And so you, you end up talking to him a lot more than you would normally do. First appreciating he's there and then continuing this communion with him all of the time. Those things that we're not sure about, we can ask God to make it plain to us because we can't neglect his word. This word is the whole counsel of God. God wants to direct us in his word to teach us, to show us things. And when we read it and we see it as a reality, we must embrace it. We mustn't fall back into bad habits 
of not realising what he's given us. Petition, then, is simply asking God for things. Affirmation is acknowledging that we have them. When I grew up as a child, um, I don't know if anyone taught me to pray. You pray with people, don't you? I remember, and of course, you pray for your mum and your dad and your brother and your sister, and you thank God for what he did, and you pray for things tomorrow and that. But 90% of the prayers that I ever prayed growing up as a child was asking God for stuff, because that's what I was taught to do. That's, and then when I went to church and I grew up as a teenager and I listened to people in prayer meetings, they kept asking God for stuff. And so, though I don't know if... There's a lot in my Christian life. I don't know whether I was ever taught this or you just pick stuff up, don't you? And you work out your theology by what you hear and see. So to me, praying was just asking God for stuff, asking God for stuff. So prayer was synonymous with petitioning. In fact, it wasn't prayer, it was petitioning. It was just one aspect of prayer, which was constantly asking God for stuff. There's nothing wrong in petitioning, I'm not saying that, but if that's the sum total of your, your prayer experience, it's wrong, I'm sorry, and you must stop it. Your prayer life must be much broader than simply petitioning, asking all the time, God give me stuff. So you say, well, what am I supposed to do when I pray? Well, one thing you can do is just shut up for a start. Just, just be quiet and just listen. Enjoy the silence that exists between you. He wants us to listen. My sheep know my voice. We must practice this. Maybe you spend time praising him, reading the scriptures, thanking him. All of these things would be part of prayer. It says in Philippians, don't we? We come to him with thanksgiving in our prayers and petitioning in our prayers. And we come to him to fellowship and commune with him, of which I think petitioning needs to be a smaller part, only to balance things up a bit, because we spent so long petitioning and doing the other things not sufficient. See, when God makes a statement in Scripture, we must exercise faith to believe what he said is true. We must. And so if you discover God promising you something, say, all right, by faith then, I receive that thing. And then keep praying affirmative prayers until it's a reality in your life. Hmm, is a thorny one. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Call for the elders of the church. Have them pray for you. If there's some sin in your life, then confess it. Get it dealt with. And the prayer of the righteous will cause that sick person to get well. It's like, mm, Philip, why did you pick that one? It's always a thorny one. Thorny or not, it's true, you see. Now, I've suffered from things like all of you have, and I've prayed and not been healed or, or whatever, whatever. So what we do, we say, well, this can't be true. 
we can't allow ourselves to say that. We, ha we have to read the scriptures and the way the Holy Spirit shows us or the way it strikes us, we must believe it to be true. And I haven't got all the answers. I don't know why this does and doesn't happen and I don't understand all that, but I daren't build a theology based on my experience because that's not helpful. Now, as I keep looking and I keep reading, it, things might become clearer and clearer and clearer. And what I believed in simplicity back here, it's, I understand more as I move forward, but I must never turn scripture on its head and call it a liar. If God has said, this is yours, I give it to you, then we need to accept it and believe it. <laughs> Isn't it funny how often we just say what other people have said? It's funny, you know, it says in Scripture, be careful if you want to be a teacher because you'll be, you'll be scrutinised by the Lord when he comes a lot more seriously than others. But you're all teachers. Not in the same way that someone would stand as I do and dare to explain what I feel scriptures say, but in the way that you live your life with other Christians, you're teaching them all the time. And sometimes you see people learn more from just looking at you and listening to you than they ever do from a pulpit because you're, there's relationship, there's friendship, and your, your theology is being created all the time by being in the body of Christ and mixing with other Christians. So in a sense, we're all teachers. We should all be careful. Wouldn't it be awful because you acted in a certain way and young Christians were watching you and they copied you because you were a mature Christian and led them all astray? Wasn't that what happened with Ananias and Sapphira? God had to take them out because of their possibly their influence over the church as those that were mature and others rushing into the church. God said, I, I can't leave you there. You will do more damage than is good. And so he removed them from the situation. I'm going to throw some verses at you now. And I want you to think, what does this mean? What has he given me uh, through this verse? First one is Ephesians 1 and 3. It's not in your notes. You realise that by now. Never mind. Okay. Ephesians 1 and 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What on earth does that mean? What has he given you? When he says that, I blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. What have you given me then, Lord? Because it's mine, I simply just need to appropriate it by faith and maybe I'm asking for something that you've already given me. Are they all the blessings that we see in Christ's life? Is that possibly every spiritual blessing that we've received? When we see the blessing in Christ's life, has he already given us that? Now, we have to move forward and, and grow up into it. I understand that. As baby Christians, we know nothing. And as we walk along the road, we realise this is available to me. This is available to me. We have, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ. It's already yours. You have it. Peter says a very similar thing, doesn't he, in 2 Peter 1.3. It says this, His divine power 
has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory. His divine power has given us everything. What does that mean? Everything we need for life and godliness. You mean to live a life of godliness? I don't have to ask you for anything, Lord. He says, no, it's yours. You have to discover what it is and by faith appropriate it into your life. All the graces that we see in Christ are ours. They've been given to us. When we received Christ, we received all the heavenly blessings. We received all the grace. So instead of asking God for some of these things, just thank him that you've received them. Otherwise, it shows a disconnect between you and God and God's word. It's a disconnect. And we must connect with knowing what he's given us in our lives. There's another one in Romans 8 and 37. No, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are a conqueror. You say, Philip, I could tell you times in my life when I didn't feel like a conqueror, but you were a conqueror. So when we know that we're conquerors, and we're going through it, and we feel like all the life is being crushed out of us, you can pray an affirmative prayer. You don't say, God, get me out of this mess. You say, God, cause me to be a conqueror in this. Because you have declared me a conqueror, one who conquers, one who comes over things. And so you pray affirmative prayers. And you think, oh, I think you're making a big, big thing of this. No, I'm not. I'm trying to do with the, or deal with the disconnect between you and a permanent present God who is with you all the time and to know what you have. Nothing, he says, will be able to separate you from the love of God. Nothing in all creation can separate me from God. My sin cannot separate me from God. I can erect a barrier between me and God, but my sin can't separate me from him because nothing can separate me from him. He has declared his love and acceptance on me and I must deal with, if there is a barrier, it wasn't created by God. God has not moved and he cannot move. And so it's important that we pray affirmative prayers and keep our connection, keep our, our life connection with him. The last discipline I'm going to look at this evening is a constant closeness with God. It's important to establish some habits that will help remind us of the nearness of God because it's so easy to forget that he's there all the time. Even people who have a priority of reading their Bible or praying every day, which is admirable, that, that quiet time, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to cultivate. You must never leave the quiet time with an attitude that you're somehow leaving God in the room. 
<laughs> he says, come into a closet, doesn't he? As a child, you know, I don't know what the authorised version says, but it sounded like I was going into the broom cupboard to pray. I didn't think it meant that. It meant a separate chamber or, or a special room to go and pray. Anyway, so um, sometimes we go and pray and then we, we move away, get on with our business as though God is there. No, you can't leave God there. He left the room with you and he's gone to that business and he's gone to that appointment and he's gone to that whatever it is you're doing to the sink or to the desk or whatever. He's come with you all the time. You just wanted to shut the world out for that moment so no one interrupted you so you could have this time, but you took him with you. See, growing up for years and years and years, I thought a quiet time was where I met with God and then I just got on with life. And then I met with God again and got on with life. And then when I went to bed at night, I prayed to God and met with God and then I got on with sleep. And then, and so, but it's not, is it? He's there constantly, 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 constantly. So it makes quiet time seem a bit strange, but it's not. It's the time that we dedicate where we don't want to be interrupted. We give him a good chunk of our time. Now, I'm going to share some things with you. They, these might not appeal to you. You might feel these are a bit childish, these things I'm going to say. I mentioned someone last time I spoke, uh, uh, Frank Leboch. Uh, he was a doctor, an American a missionary to the Philippines, and he uh, wrote a lot about this. If you find any literature on it, always worth a little read. Um, he did some studies or uh, compiled studies, uh, methods that Christians used, he did surveys, uh, to practice the presence of God. I'm just going to suggest a few of them here to you. Walking on the inside of the pavement, he says, visualising the Lord is working on, walking on the curbside. Isn't that weird? I mean, how weird can you be? You're thinking, how childish and weird. No, no, it's just, it's just getting into the practice, you see, it's, it's like, okay, he's with me. I'm walking down the street. I get in my car, maybe. There's Jesus. He's sitting there next to me in the car. Whatever it is, it's, 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 it's visualizing, imagining, so we get into the practice of saying he's always there. There's a game, he said, we could play. It's called the game of minutes. And what you do, you try to remember how many times in an hour you stopped and thought of God. And then how many minutes within the times that you stopped that you thought of God. So, and then you count up the minutes of every hour that you gave yourself thinking to God. You think, oh, how ridiculous, Philip. I'm only reporting what Mr. Lobos said all those years ago. Uh, and sometimes to say something that's ridiculous, it makes the point. Apparently people did this survey and that's what they did. Someone suggested to him what they do as they breathe, they breathe in and out the life of God. Breathing in the life of God. Breathing in the commandment to love and breathing out the obedience to love. The commandment to love the obedience to love. Some suggested that um, you leave a vacant chair, okay, by the side of your bed or uh, in the room. Um, 
years and years ago, I don't know many, 50, 100 years ago, I have seen these plaques. Christians had them up in their old-fashioned uh, dining rooms. And it said something like this, Christ is the head of this home, the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. Do you remember seeing those? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you have to be of a certain age probably to remember those things. But I remember seeing them, whether it was just on photographs or I visited some elderly aunt somewhere, uh, probably in Wales, and I, I saw this. See, that mentality was there. He was at the dinner table and some people left a seat for him. That was where he was. And, and some people who are very much alone, maybe their partner's gone, uh, maybe they make a coffee. This, I've read this somewhere in a similar thing to this. They make a cup of coffee, but they make two cups of coffee. And they have one, and they put one there for Jesus. And they talk to him. You might think, oh, but you see, whatever works, whatever works to cause you to realise he is there, he's at the coffee break, he's walking down the street with you, he's there all the time, he, he is with us. We've got to somehow get into that mentality. Whatever, whatever gimmick you use, rude to say they're gimmicks, but whatever you use to do it, we must do it. A couple more uh, that I've practiced for a number of years now when I first read about it. If anything interesting or unusual happens during the day, immediately stop and talk to God about it. I bring God into it. Maybe you get a phone call from someone and you weren't expecting it and, you know, you just stop after the phone call and say, God, thank you for that phone call, whether it was good or bad. Uh, you know, what, what's going on in this conversation? Something happens out of the ordinary. You just stop, just stop for a while and, and do it. Whenever I do something... In service for the Lord, I will afterwards, not immediately, but then I'll talk to him about it. See, I'll talk to him about tonight, tonight. When I go to my bed, I'll talk about this and I'll thank him for his presence. I'll thank him for everyone who was here. Uh, thank him for what he said into your heart and mind. Thank him for the ideas that he helped me with. I thank him for it. It's, it's every event. You just bring it to him. You acknowledge him all the time. All the time. See, God makes arrangements for us. And he wants to talk to us about the arrangements he's made. I'll put the last one there about... Um, let every completed task become a trigger for thanking God. Every completed task. Sometimes we're so busy rushing on to the next thing, we should finish that one. Acknowledge God in it. Thank God in it before we move on to the next one. Okay, I promised you that I would introduce uh, Brother Lawrence to you. So... Um, who would like to do this so you get a, a different voice to read? Any volunteer? <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not long, long.
Okay. It's, it's, a, it's an introduction about Brother Lawrence, and then uh, he never actually wrote a book. He just kept diaries, and other people from his conversations uh, and from the diaries, they compiled uh, the, the practice in the presence. You'll hear he lived in about the 1600s. One copy of the book that I had a long, long time ago now, they had published themselves 22 million copies of this book. Okay, now I've tried to find out how many copies of this have been published since 16, whatever it was, uh, but you can be sure there are millions and millions and millions of copies printed of this book. Okay, uh, it was, uh, he's a Frenchman and he never wrote a book actually, but it served the church so wonderfully and powerfully. So um, there's the introduction of who he is, so I'll show you Anne. So if you read the, the preface there from where I've angled it, angled it there, a couple of pages, and then I want you to move to this marker here, and it's headed here, his fourth conversation. They were conversations with usually the head of, of where the abbots lived, and uh, just there and there, and it picks up some of the points that I've been making tonight that he's talking about. Okay, so that one's marked, so you can't lose that page, and, yeah. and that's there. So it's about a couple of slides there. Now I'll set you up with this, and then I'll get out your way. Excuse me, can I pin that there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I can't do a French accent, mind. No, no. no, no okay. Okay. <clears throat> right. Brother Lawrence was born Nicholas Herman in, 18, in 1611 in the town of Herimenil in the French Lorraine. Born into a poor family, he received little formal education as a child. As a young man, he joined the army and fought in the Thirty Year War. At the age of 18, while in military service, Herman had an experience of God that began his spiritual journey. During winter, Herman saw a barren tree, stripped of leaves and fruit. While contemplating the up-and-coming springtime and the transformation that would happen to the tree, a transformation of his soul occurred. His friend and biographer described it in these words, at that moment, he saw clearly the providence and power of God. Brother Lawrence had awakened to the presence of God. That awareness of divine presence continued unabated for the rest of his life. A short time after this experience, which is usually referred to as his conversation, a serious injury to his sciatic nerve forced him to retire from the army. This injury left him lame and in considerable pain for the rest of his life. After leaving the army, he lived for a period of time in solitude. It seemed that during this period of time, he integrated his new spiritual awareness into his life. Eventually, out of financial necessity, he took a job as a footman but within six years, he had entered the discalculate Carmelty Monastery in Paris. He took the name Lawrence of the Resurrection. Nicholas entered the Priory as a lay brother 
not having the education necessary to become a priest. He spent the rest of his life within the walls of this large monastic community, working in the kitchen for the most of his life and later as a cobbler. While assigned to the kitchen, working at the tedious tasks of cooking and cleaning, he developed the practice of living always in conscious awareness of God. Despite his humble position in the community, his reputation attracted many visitors from the outside who sought spiritual guidance from him. The practical wisdom that he shared would later become the basis for this book, The Practice of the Presence of God. His death in 1691 occurred in relative obscurity, but his teachings continue to live on in his words. Lawrence conversed with me frequently and with great openness about the heart and his manner of going to God. Some of this has already been described previously. He told me that it all consists in one hearty renunciation of everything that does not lead to God. In this manner, we develop the practice of continual communication with him in freedom and simplicity. We just need to recognise God as intimately present with us and address ourselves to him every moment. When in doubt, we can ask his assistance in knowing his will. We can also ask his help in performing those things which we know he requires of us. We should offer everything to him before we do it and give him thanks after we have finished. Part of this communion with God is praising, adoring and loving him incessantly for his infinite goodness and perfection. Without being discouraged by our sins, we should pray for his grace with perfect confidence, relying upon the infinite merits of our Lord. God never fails to offer us his grace for every occasion. He distinctly perceived this in his own life and it never failed except when his thoughts wandered from a sense of God's presence or he forgot to ask his assistance. God always gives us light in the midst of our doubts when we have no other purpose but to please him. So that brings our second week, as it were, to a close. Um, we've got through seven of the disciplines. Over the next uh, couple of weeks, we will look at uh, another eight disciplines. And remember, uh, to know them is one thing, because to practice them is what's important. And uh, we'll read a little bit more of this, uh, I'm sure, as it... Uh, underlines many of the things that we'll be looking at and uh, to know that we've drawn these truths from uh, men and women who have gone before. I mean, this is just one, but there's a whole host of people uh, who we could draw on who've uh, practiced this in their lives and it's taken them right, as it were, into the very heart and the presence of God to live that life. So we'll just close it there. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. 
We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please come on back next week for our third instalment in the Practicing the Presence of God module. If you would like to partner with Arise Ministry, you can do so by heading over to our website at ariseministry.org.uk where you can make a secure online donation. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.